0: It's Wednesday, July 26th, 2022, the 917th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'myourmoderator.substack.com. So before we get started on what I want to talk about today, I want to do just a very, very brief update on something we discussed yesterday, and that is the possibility that Donald Trump's trial at the culmination of the Jack Smith investigation, whenever that might happen right now, it looks like it's going to be May of next year, could be an opportunity for Donald J. Trump to get all of the evidence out there about the theft of the 2020 election and do it in this open public forum in front of the entire country. We talked about the regime hack and election attorney Ben Ginsburg, and how he was hoping for the opportunity to show the American people how flimsy and baseless Donald Trump's claims about 2020 election really were. So this isn't something that we pulled out of nowhere. They're suggesting it. And Donald Trump, as you might suspect, welcomes the opportunity he reaffirmed on Truth Social this morning. We'll have fun on the stand with all of these people that say the presidential election wasn't rigged and stolen. The trial of the century and uh, stolen, as usual, when he writes it in these posts, has two L's. Now, some people suggest that these continuous misspellings are some sort of comms. He's doing it intentionally to direct people's attention one way or another. I think there's also a good argument that he does these misspellings intentionally, knowing that all of the child-brained villagers out there on the uniparty left and the uniparty right, all those people who hate Donald Trump, love seeing Donald Trump misspell things in his social media posts, because they believe that that confirms for them once again, that Donald Trump is stupid and too careless and irresponsible to proofread his social media posts. And so in order to inflate their sense of self relative to Donald Trump, because of course, all of these people are smarter and better and more informed and more competent than Donald Trump, president of the United States with all his information, versus Tim and Katrina from their cubicles reading Vox and the Bulwark. They're so much smarter than Donald Trump. And that's why they get so excited when they see a misspelling in one of his posts, because then they can scream out to everyone, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, guys, see, look at this, look at this. I told you I was smarter than Donald Trump. Look at this. Hey, everybody, look at this. Hey, have a thousand people seen it yet? We need more than a thousand. Can we get 10,000 people to read this Donald Trump post? Can we get 100,000 people to read this Donald Trump post? Oh, you're a celebrity and you have 7 million followers and you're screaming to everyone. Hey, look at Donald Trump's misspelling. Does everyone see how much smarter than Donald Trump I am? A million people, two million people, will you please read Donald Trump's post so that you know how much smarter I am than Donald Trump? Well, hey, thanks, Tim and Katrina and B grade Instagram influencer for getting Donald Trump's truth social post in front of millions and millions of people. And you can all think you're very, very smart, so much smarter than Trump for noticing that he has a spelling error. In his post. But in doing that, you just took his post and exposed it to millions of Americans who now know that Donald Trump is excited to face his Jack Smith trial and plans to expose the truth about the 2020 election and all our elections at that trial. What does that do to these people's brains once they know that? Donald Trump is supposed to be scared of these indictments. He's supposed to be horrified. I was just told by someone this morning pretending to be a Ron DeSantis supporter that Donald Trump, the orange doofus, was going to go to prison for the rest of his life. These people really think that. And if there's any chance of that happening, why would Donald Trump be excited about his trial? And if Donald Trump was lying about election fraud. Why would Donald Trump be excited about this trial that could land him in prison forever as an opportunity to tell people about the election fraud he knows isn't true? Does that make any sense? Why do these people continue to think that they are smarter than Donald Trump while he has basically commandeered their minds and can now drive them wherever he wants? They are sharing His truth social comments from the platform they say is a failure, and they are bringing them to mainstream platforms and blasting them out to everyone because they think it's a gotcha on Donald Trump. And meanwhile, they are just doing our jobs for us, and it is fantastic. If that is Donald Trump being dumb, then I hope Donald Trump is dumb all the time. Okay, so on Monday, and maybe a little bit yesterday, I did something that I know people occasionally get annoyed about. And when people get annoyed about it, I actually think it's kind of funny. So it makes me do it more. But the truth is, I would be doing it regardless because I really think it's important that we explore all of these ideas in as open-minded a way as we possibly can. And that includes talking about whether or not The belief that we have developed over years, maybe decades, maybe our whole lives might be wrong from the very beginning. The belief we have might be false down to its roots. It might have been created just to confuse us, just to create fear within us. And I know that everybody listening to this is going to understand that thought process for a whole range of ideas that they used to believe and now no longer believe. Some of those ideas are ideas you think you've proven to yourself a thousand times, or that the world has proven to you a thousand times. You are sure you're right and that that piece of knowledge is never going to change throughout the rest of your life. And then something happens and that idea changes, or maybe it slowly changes over time. But either way, it's not how you thought it was at the beginning, turns out it's the other way entirely. Now, I myself have had that experience over and over and over again, particularly within the last three years. Maybe you could even say the last seven or eight years. But I found out that I was wrong about so many things that I thought I knew for certain. And after you admit that there are a lot of things out there like that, you begin to find joy in realizing what you were wrong about. I often have the experience of thinking, oh, man, I totally got tricked about that. How could I have possibly believed that? And then I think, well, that thing's not true. What is true? And sometimes you get lost in wondering. Sometimes you can't replace that thing, that belief that you no longer hold on to. There's just a hole where that belief used to be, and you can't plug anything into it in order to have everything else around it make sense. And I talked about that, you know, over the last few weeks, discussing foundational misunderstandings. But the thing is, leaving that empty hole in that belief is actually better than having that hole filled with something false. It's good to be able to get into the practice of letting go of false beliefs, not knowing if you will ever be able to fill the hole that that leaves with something true. That's still better than reverting to that default explanation. And we've gotten there on some pretty important issues just over the last few years. Now, there are people who have been awake so much longer than me. But no matter how long anyone's been awake or how many subjects they have thoroughly researched and they know the truth, they've seen through all the lies, there might be things that they're not totally awake about. This is just the state of life, and it always will be. We're not going to be right about everything. We're not going to be able to have true and accurate beliefs about all the mysteries of the world. We're not going to have answers for all our questions, no matter how awake we are and how attentive we are, how well studied we are. It's not possible. So life will just end up being a process of figuring out that we were wrong about some really important stuff. And I can speak for myself on this. Throughout 2020, I learned all sorts of things that I had believed prior simply were not true. There were times at which it was really easy to see how and why they weren't true and then why I would have adopted that belief and defended that belief over time. There were some places where I was able to replace my bad belief with a corrected belief. And of course, there were other times where the belief just had to go away with nothing to replace it. I essentially accepted that I may well be wrong about absolutely everything I believe. And when I find out that I'm wrong about one of those foundational things, well, I'm going to have to backtrack on everything that has to do with that foundational understanding until I can really think through what this new understanding means. And so you set yourself toward that process. But even over the last three years, since I have accepted that I may well be wrong about everything I believed before, I have continued to find out that I was wrong about things I didn't think I could be wrong about. We have this amazing ability to convince ourselves that we know where the limit of mystery is. Like, yep, I've been Wrong about some things. Man, have I had my mind blown. But also, there is this entire set of things that cannot be any way other than it is. It has always been this way. It is a necessary fact of the world that it is this way. There is nothing that could possibly change my mind about this thing. And so on Monday, I discussed a few things that carry that quality for a lot of people out there. Maybe not for you, maybe not for quote unquote conservatives, but for a whole lot of people out there, they believe there is absolutely no way that they are wrong about some of the issues I discussed. There are people out there who will not accept that man-made climate change is a hoax. It doesn't matter how the future goes over the next three years or five years or 10 years. It won't matter if every climate scientist is fully exposed as a fraud. They will not let it go because it makes them feel heroic for advertising a certain lifestyle. They like to identify as the saviors of this world. They will advocate that everyone must use paper straws. And if they get paper straws into a coffee shop here and there, they are going to pretend that they have saved the planet single-handedly. And then they will get on a private jet where, of course, they use plastic straws. Those people are never going to let go of climate change. Climate change is sold to us as an existential crisis. If we don't behave, if we don't hand over power and authority, our wealth, To the people who are already the most powerful in the world, those coordinating with global governing bodies to create global solutions to the problems they've created. If we don't behave and obey and give them everything they need, then we are all going to die and it will be our fault for not behaving. We are told it is an existential crisis. We must overturn our entire economy. We need to drive cars that can be shut off remotely. We need to eat bugs. If we don't do whatever they tell us, then we are all going to die and it'll be our fault. Some people will never let that go. Some people thought for certain that the entire climate change narrative was irrefutably true. 97% of scientists agree with the climate change theory of man-made global warming, blah, blah, blah. They say 97% of scientists can't be wrong, and certainly 97% of scientists would never be lying. These are not only the smartest people in the world, but they have the most integrity of anyone in the entire world, or they would not be allowed to call themselves scientists. And admittedly, before I woke up, I thought that was probably right. I was like, yeah, there's no way that 97% of the people who are studying this thing are all reaching the same conclusion and they're just making it up or lying or taking payoffs. Well, I was pretty dumb back then. But I thought for certain that the latest research must be correct. I respected the scientists. I trusted the science. I didn't understand that there was a much broader agenda behind climate change. I didn't understand that they had been pursuing that agenda for decades based on a series of similarly flimsy justifications, I thought there was no way I would ever change my mind about climate change. This is just what it is. But then eventually I found out that they would actually lie about all of those things. And there was this agenda that they were pursuing. And all of the science is funded by the people pursuing that agenda and needing that outcome. I began listening carefully to what they were saying and seeing what their evidence and their justification was for all of the claims they were making. I listened to what their solutions were. I thought about what the impact of those solutions would be. And eventually I realized, oh, these people are just lying all the time and they are pursuing this other agenda. All they ever do is tell me that 97% of scientists agree with them. And that's when you shrug and say, wow, that whole thing was a lie. They completely tricked me with that. I find that experience rather thrilling because then I begin to think, why would they trick me to believe that? What are they hiding? What is the real truth behind that? Is there any way that I can study alternate viewpoints on this and find something that maps onto reality better than the belief I just had to give up? I really do enjoy that experience. I wish that everyone enjoyed it. I hope that maybe one day everyone will enjoy it because we don't have to feel stupid for getting tricked by this stuff. I mean, you can. There's a level to which it's stupid. We've all been stupid. That's okay. But it's also military grade psychological operations and brainwashing that put you in a place to believe all the nonsense they spin. I didn't think that there was anything any way they would fake the moon landing. But look at the video. Look at the pictures. Study what it is. They sent that weird thing made out of shower rods and tin foil into space and it landed on the moon and then it took off from the moon and came back here. That didn't happen. They brought a go-kart up there and drove a go-kart around. Guys, that didn't happen. And I'm not saying it could never happen. And I'm not even necessarily saying that it hasn't happened. I'm just saying the one we were shown clearly isn't real. Now, you want to tell me that was a psyop against the Russians to convince them that we had something cool. That's a plausible explanation for something that clearly is not what we were told it was. I would love to fill all of those beliefs with another probable and plausible explanation. So I'm not trying to tell you that there's no reasonable explanation. It's just all fake. And that means other things are fake. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, let's at least be honest about the thing that we can see is totally 100% fake because that is genuine progress and genuine progress is good. We should all be able to admit that we got tricked about that moon thing. There's no way that that little pod made out of shower rods and tinfoil landed on the moon and came back. It just didn't happen. And at some point, someone's going to have to explain why we don't just send some guys back there. I mean, do we not have the tech for it anymore? And why do we bring all those Nazis into NASA? We can give up on these beliefs without filling in new beliefs and without thinking that we're all crazy lunatics. For saying what is clear in front of our faces. There's no way that little aluminum foil pod went to the moon and back. We don't need to be quote unquote climate scientists to know that the narrative about man made climate change is nonsense. We don't need to be astrophysicists to say that that little aluminum foil pod didn't go to the moon and back. And if we had an astrophysicist over, to explain to us the math on how it could have worked, that still doesn't mean it happened. That would only trick us into trusting the authority of the astrophysicist. Oh, he has field expertise relative to this fictional story. It would be like getting your doctorate in Game of Thronesology. You can see that little pod did not go to the moon and back. And an astrophysicist saying, yes, it did does not make any difference whatsoever. That is only an appeal to authority. And it doesn't matter that the authority you're appealing to is an astrophysicist. He's not going to give you proof that that little pod went to the moon and back. The justification is basically just Tim said, or in this case, Dr. Tim, the astrophysicist. So we let go of the moon landing. We let go of climate change. Most people now understand fake, fake. Doesn't mean everything's fake. Just means that those two things are fake. And there's probably a reason why they showed us these two fake things and told us for so long that they were true. They probably have some agenda that these stories help to support despite the fact that they aren't true but we learned other things also aren't true in the last few years. We saw them lie about a pandemic over and over again. In every regard, they lied to us about a pandemic. They prefaced it for years and years. They have had planning sessions and war games about how a pandemic would go if and when one ever came. Klaus Schwab's Philosopher king of the World Economic Forum, Yuval Noah Harari, spent 2017, 2018, 2019 going on podcasts, talking about the human level threats to the future, the existential crises we may encounter, one of them being very deadly pandemics. And after the first impeachment hoax failed, there we go. We got a pandemic, the pandemic that will threaten to bring down Trump's economy and his whole presidency in this election year. And Klaus Schwab writes COVID-19, the great reset. We are told that masks don't work and that we don't need them. And then we're told that maybe they do, but we still shouldn't buy any because the first responders need them. And no one's allowed out in society at all, except for essential workers who are supposed to just go about their lives as normal. Oh, now everyone needs to wear masks. Now we need to lock down churches and schools. We need to mask children. And it just went on and on and on and on and on. And people eventually realized, oh, wow, they will lie to us about a pandemic. They're telling us Everyone might die from this. And if you do the wrong thing, you're going to be responsible for killing someone's grandma. And the whole thing is a lie based on tests that don't work and data that we can see isn't being accurately reported or even accurately framed. Wow, they would lie to us about a pandemic. And then you got to think, are pandemics real? Are pandemics real? I mean, I guess we've had stories about plagues from times past. Those stories are always handed down by the people who write our history. And it turns out. That the people who write our history are always the winners. And so as long as they're able to win and stay in power, they get to write whatever history they want. And it turns out that in their history, everything they say is not only true now, it's always been true in the past. So we had plagues in the past and that supports the idea that we could have pandemics right now. And yeah, it's the same people telling us, but what are we going to do? Call it fake? We're not virologists. I bet if you ask a virologist, they'll tell you pandemics are very real. In fact, I bet if you asked 97% of virologists, they would tell you that pandemics are real. Now, there are countless scientists who think that viruses aren't even real, much less viral pandemics, which would mean that the entire field of virology is similarly not real which would mean it doesn't actually matter what 97% of virologists say about anything because they can't even get to the bottom of their own profession. But again, I'm not claiming to know that. I'm just saying if they lie to us about a pandemic in a thousand different ways, maybe by the time you realize that it's worth questioning if anything else about the pandemic is a lie Or if they would only lie about a portion of the things, but the underlying claim about the virus absolutely must be true. We do the same thing with vaccines. A lot of people realize that the COVID vaccines aren't safe, aren't effective, and certainly are not necessary. Whether or not they are killing and maiming people, and it sure seems like they are, no one needed to take them and they didn't work. Those things are irrefutably true. Which means we were lied to extensively from the very highest levels of our government and those lies were reinforced throughout our society from every system of power in this country. Now, nearly everyone who took the first vaccine a couple of years ago has gotten off the program. People are not getting boosters anymore, and good for them on realizing it. That means most of our country has determined that at least one vaccine that has been given out was not necessary and isn't good for us. But for whatever reason, they still think all the other vaccines probably are good and did work, despite the fact that they have. No depth of research or study or understanding on the topic of vaccines. Certainly no expertise in the area. They know what they've been told. They know that they've gone along with it. So they feel a little invested in the truth of the whole thing. But mostly they're just believing what they've been told. And it turns out that the same people telling them about the history of vaccines are the ones telling them about how good these current vaccines are. And so I don't know if vaccines in the past have been ineffective and unnecessary to the extent that the COVID vaccine was, nor do I know if they've been as potentially dangerous as the COVID vaccine is. But whatever history they use to tell us that vaccines have always been very safe and very effective and have saved millions upon millions of lives, there is an equal amount of data out there showing that vaccines are not safe. And not effective and have actually cost the world countless lives. So what are we supposed to think about that? Do we still hold on to the idea that vaccines in general are good and this one was just bad? Should we assume that all vaccines have always been bad? They tell us that vaccines cured polio. Polio's caused by a virus. If there aren't viruses, then polio wasn't caused by a virus. Which means whatever the polio vaccine cured wasn't a virus, which takes away their argument that vaccines cure us of viruses. And so then what is the vaccine? Now, I don't know the answers to all these questions and cannot speak on it authoritatively, but I know that they've lied to us profusely about all of this. And the people clearly lying to us about what's happening now are telling the same story as others About what happened then, do we assume that they're telling us the truth about the past just because that's the default explanation, which makes it our explanation as well? Just because it's the thing that everybody knows, vaccines cured polio, vaccines cured polio, everybody knows that, therefore, it's the default explanation. But is it true? The people lying to us about everything else say it is true, and it's a foundational claim for what they're lying to us about now. So do we really have to believe them? So you got climate change, you got pandemics. Both of these are existential species level threats. If we don't do what we need to do, these things could wipe us out completely. Therefore, the only solution is to turn all of our wealth and power and control authority over to the regime, to the people in power the only people who can save us because they're the only ones who are able to convene all of the experts and get everybody on the same page about how we must proceed on a worldwide level. And then we have to force compliance on all the peoples of the world. And if everybody behaves properly, then maybe we can just get through this problem. But the thing is, if anyone messes up, well, then the problem's going to get worse. We're going to blame it on you. And because you made it worse, Now we need more power to fix it. The agenda isn't hidden. It's visible. It's right out there in the open. And all of these issues follow the same trajectory. The arguments for all of them are the same. They can't prove that the underlying thing exists. They agree that they are the only ones who can solve this problem that they have created and told us about. Literally everything we know about these problems has been communicated to us by these same people. They create the problem. They tell us about the problem. They tell us that they're the only ones who know enough about the problem to be able to fix it. And what they need is all our power, all our wealth, all our control authority, and we have to promise to obey and comply and do what they say. If we behave, then maybe we can all get through this. At what point do we say, no, this existential threat they're telling us about does not fit that model. This time, this one is real. And on Monday, I mentioned nukes talking about the movie Oppenheimer. Nukes are one of those existential threats to all of society, to everyone at once. If we don't behave, if we don't do what they demand, the entire world is going to be incinerated. Everyone we love is going to become a pile of ash immediately. You see, the scientists, they are the gods of this realm. They figured out how they could destroy everything all at once. They could just cease being On this planet for everyone out of their sheer acts of brilliance and it is their acts of pure moral perfection that have stayed their hand. They have been patient and calm and resolved in never actually using these weapons to blow up the planet. And we should all be very thankful. That's why when they tell us the planet might get blown up unless you guys do what we say. Well, we know we'd better do it because they would never lie about something of this magnitude. Nuclear weapons are so important that they would never lie. Now, yes, they have told us that we need to continue to support the Nazi war in Ukraine. Otherwise, Russia is going to nuke everybody. But that's just because they know so much better than us about what's going on in the world and what might happen. And of course, They are in a much better position to know what's going on in the world than we are, because we know that our government doesn't tell us anything, despite the fact that all the information in the government's possession is actually in the possession of the people and should be. They won't tell us. So we don't know. Are nukes real? Is there a threat of nukes right now if we don't do what the government says and give more billions and billions and billions of dollars over to Ukraine with all the corruption with the Nazi battalions? Well, we can't know the answers. We're not allowed to know the answers, but we can know that the people who are better than us are the ones telling us, and therefore we have to listen to them. That's our responsibility. Unless we want to have this nuclear crisis, this existential threat that could end everybody, everything. You, everyone you love, all of it, gone immediately unless you obey. That's why you have to obey. We're going to need all your wealth, your power, your control authority. Just hand it on over and do what we say. Otherwise, you're going to be incinerated. Now, that's quite a threat. They hang over our heads. And the proof that that threat is real is that two Japanese cities were bombed like 75 years ago. We were told those were the nukes. Everybody agreed that they were the nukes. After all, they heard the president say it on the radio. And despite ample reason to believe that that's not what happened at all, everyone still believes it to the point where they'll get upset if I say, hey, guys, maybe this is fake. People just simply can't believe it because they've believed it for so long. It has been such a threat for so long. It has been talked about constantly for all of our lives no matter how old we are at this point. I mean, unless you're like 95 years old or something, and then congratulations, honestly. But virtually anyone who could possibly be listening to this show right now has dealt with the nuclear threat at whatever level of seriousness for their entire lives. Everyone's believed it. No one doubts it, even though we were all told in school to hide under our desks. In the event of a nuclear catastrophe, and I played the video on Monday, the PSA from New York, where the solution if a nuke blows up New York is to go inside, stay inside, put your clothes in a plastic bag, go down to the basement and watch TV so the media can tell you what to do. The proof that any of this is real is video of footage of explosions and what would happen a story about the bombing of two cities in Japan that, quote unquote, ended World War Two, and the fact that world leaders have talked about it fairly often as a major threat for decades and decades and decades. For most people, that's enough. They say, I get it. Climate change, the moon landing, pandemics. Sure, they would lie about that stuff. But the nukes aren't a lie. I mean, are you crazy, man? This is a conspiracy theory. They bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Are you saying that they weren't bombed? And it's like, well, no, what? I didn't say they weren't bombed. I just said there's not that much reason to believe it's nukes. And if it's not nukes, a whole bunch of other things fall apart. And there are some pretty good reasons to believe it's not nukes. And it just so happens that everyone who sold us that story is the same people who sell us all the other stories. And they're all Descended from that whole Prussian thing, but I know, I know that very real, undisputed history that they tried to never tell us all at one time. That's the conspiracy theory part. Following the history to its logical conclusions and watching how it interacts with reality right now, that's conspiratorial thinking. But believing the people you know lie to you about everything, about yet another existential threat. That will absolutely destroy everything you care about if you don't behave. That is very sensible. But people get uncomfortable. They get mad. They say, you can't just go around calling everything fake. To which I would respond, first off, I can if I think it's fake. But second, I'm not calling everything fake. I'm trying to reserve that only for fake things. And it just so happens... That way more things are fake than I could have ever possibly imagined. And when I say fake, do I mean it's completely and totally fake on every level? No, what I mean is there are fundamental aspects of this story that are clearly false. And when I see that happening, I am not inclined to make up my own line past which these people will not lie. And the truth is, it actually doesn't matter whether or not nukes are real or fake when you are figuring out what to do relative to the nuclear threat narrative. If nukes are what they say they are and the world reaches that point, then I guess we'll all be incinerated. But if nukes aren't real, then we are not going to be incinerated and we don't have any incentive to fall in line with their demands. Our unwillingness to comply alone erases the nuclear threat, and it preserves our liberty. If we have a choice between a lifetime of servitude on behalf of these people or everything being immediately incinerated at once, honestly, what's the difference? And you might think that's crazy, but look what we've chosen instead. We don't even know that the threat is real. And if you say, yes, it is, you should be able to prove that the fact that you cannot prove that means at the very minimum, you shouldn't get upset with someone questioning it. I'm sorry, but the stories we've been handed down throughout quote unquote history written by the winners are not proof that this existential level threat is real. Sorry. And if it's not, then we have promoted war and contributed to war in order to avoid a non-existent threat because we were dog walked into it the same way we are about everything else. Now, it's confusing to me why this is upsetting for people. I mean, first off, maybe I'm just wrong and you're welcome to think that my discernment is off or that these are paths I don't need to go down. And that's just fine. Honestly, that is your opinion. I'm fine with your opinion being that. My opinion is decidedly not that, or else I wouldn't be doing this. It actually does matter whether or not the things we are told present existential threats to us, and in order to avoid them, we must give all our power to them. It actually matters if those things are true, because if they're not true, then we are being exploited, and to the extent we believe something that's not true, that's leading to our own exploitation. That is a big problem. We don't need to be walking around dealing with the idea of existential threats unless we follow a totally capricious and ever-changing set of rules and moral guidelines by which our fellow citizens who are totally asleep will then judge our characters. That actually does matter. And everybody understands why it matters when you look at the communists and the scientific materialists pushing the climate change agenda and trying to change the entire layout of society, trying to wipe out entire industries, wasting trillions of taxpayer dollars to bring in all of these new solutions via payoffs to their own friends. All of that represents a pretty substantial problem and the cure to that problem, the simplest, fastest, most effective cure to that problem is making sure that everyone knows climate change is a hoax and the existential threat is used as a means of our exploitation and the extent to which we go along with it is the extent to which we're helping them exploit us. So it absolutely does matter there, just like it matters with the pandemics. Now, it's wonderful if we knew that enough elements of the COVID narrative were fake, that we could avoid the worst consequences, and we knew which ways we could refuse to comply. But if the ultimate truth is that viruses don't exist, then we can wipe out the threat of pandemics for all time just by knowing that. Then we don't have to worry about whether or not our friends and neighbors and family members are sheep. We don't have to worry about whether or not their ignorance will lead them to continually injecting themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we find out? Because if that bottom claim, that underlying claim is false, then we can prevent all the suffering that comes as a result from us having adopted those false beliefs. And how about nukes? Is our worry really that if we ignore the nuclear threat, if we refuse to listen to our government and our media who always lie to us, if we refuse to listen to them about the nuclear threat, what's going to happen? Russia's going to nuke us We're all going to be incinerated because we didn't listen to our government tell us about that threat. They keep absolutely everything from us about absolutely every topic. We've already handed over the power for them to do whatever they need to do militarily to deal with these threats. They certainly don't have to ask our permission. They don't even go to Congress. So why are they always so keen on telling us about this one threat? Well, if they can get us to do whatever they demand. If they can tell us that Russia is this grave nuclear threat, Russia can wipe us off the map and Russia is evil enough to do it. If they tell us that the only way to stop Russia is by sending all our money and our weapons to Ukraine to be used by Nazi battalions in a war the American people have absolutely no interest in. Well, that makes us complicit with the warmongers and the murderers, and the Nazis, and we did it all because we believe in this nuclear threat that may not exist. If it doesn't exist, and everybody knows it doesn't exist, well, then we've just solved the nuclear threat, haven't we? And hey, if it's real, I get it. All bets are off. If nuclear weapons are real, then everything I'm saying is wrong. It's just that if they are real, they have a very strange way of proving it to us, And it just so happens that they exploit that narrative as they do with everything else. And the other day I mentioned AI as well. Now, am I saying that I don't believe artificial intelligence exists and is employed in our technology, in our computer systems? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it does exist in the ways they describe it. And I believe that many of us experience the influence of that in our daily lives. But in believing that, I don't have to believe the extreme case where it reaches this superhuman point and then has the ability to destroy us, that it has the ability to produce human-like robots that we never know the difference, and they operate at a totally different level that we could never imagine, as the show Westworld portrays, for instance. And just like with nukes, the underlying reality is not the most important case. It's what they are trying to extract from us while they describe the existential threat that is sure to materialize if we don't behave. We talked last week. They are trying right now to move all the power in the world in governing A.I., to their global governing bodies so that they can set the restrictions for how this technology is used by everyone around the world. And they can influence it all at the same time, the same way the World Health Organization wants all the power over the pandemics. They can simply declare a pandemic and then say what rules and guidelines all the people of the world have to follow all at one time. Doesn't matter about your sovereign country or your individual human rights. We have decided that the global governing body gets full control over pandemics. They get to declare a pandemic and then they get to tell us what we must do. All of the people all across the world have to obey at the same time. They want to bring that model to AI. And let's be very clear, by the way, that is the model they use vis-a-vis nukes in the U.N., It is also the model they want to use for climate change. Climate change, pandemics, AI, nukes. What is the solution to all of them? Global governing bodies, give them all your wealth, all your power. Otherwise, the existential threat could very well end your life. But that's not all. The lives of everyone you know and care about. So, where do we draw the line when all of these issues are of the same type and require the same response? Are some of them real and some of them just hoaxes? Is it just climate change? Is it just climate change and pandemics? Which ones are real? Which ones are hoaxes? Because they're asking for all of the power from all of the people in the world, all shifted to global governing bodies in order to deal with these threats. So which ones are real and which ones are fake? Do we just assume that they're all real and give them our power, all of it, all the wealth, everything? And if we're going to do that, can we at least get them on the record with all of the existential threats just at one time so that we can say, okay, well, this set of existential threats This is enough. We're going to give you all the power you need for all of these threats for all time. If you tell us the threat gets worse, we'll give you more power. All good. We understand all these threats are real. Can we at least get them on the record so they won't come up with brand new existential threats in the future? And the answer is no, of course not. Of course not. We can never do that. And the truth is we'd better stop having babies because there's also an existential threat by simply having too many people. So again, where do we draw the line? Where do we begin taking them seriously if we know they are not to be taken seriously about other issues that they call existential threats? And again, if you're saying this is a slippery slope, there is a line that must be drawn somewhere because some of these threats must be real. All good. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying look at the problem that has arisen because of the total breakdown of trust in our institutions and in our fellow citizens and people to do the right thing because we have seen them do the wrong thing for a certain set of reasons over and over and over again. You would have to be insane to trust our institutions that our institutions are not abject failures, Totally compromised, totally infiltrated, totally corrupted, and totally set against the good of the people. That would be the conspiracy theory. Those would be the baseless claims with no evidence. And so today we reach the ultimate of all the existential threats we are told about by our government. All of the things that could end our world immediately. The gravest, scariest threat that could ever happen to humankind. And I'm talking, of course, about aliens. They did a UFO hearing today in the House Oversight Committee. They had three truly strange guys in for one of the strangest committee hearings I have ever watched by far. And it's not just because of the subject matter, although the subject matter and the responses were very strange as well. The whole thing was just weird. The witnesses had these weird grins. They seemed totally inauthentic. The entire thing seemed fake. Friar cuck Jamie Raskin was there in his little do-rag that he's had on now for months and months and months. And yes, I know, cancer, fine. He could just go as a bald man. He is already over 50% bald in the first place. But instead of that, he looks absolutely ridiculous. Well, he was taking the hearing very seriously. Other members of the Democrat Party in the regime were taking the hearing very, very seriously. And that's what they do when they know the witnesses are going to say things that they're all good with. They are more than happy to have a conversation, to bring up their little talking points and have the witnesses respond. When they know that the witnesses are in there to say bad things about the regime, they go on five minute diatribes about nonsense that has nothing to do with the substance of the hearing. When the witnesses are there to reinforce the stories of the regime, the members who are asking substantive questions and trying to get information on behalf of the American public get stymied in the responses. And to that extent, today's hearing was mostly normal, but there was something rushed about it. There was kind of this whatever attitude about the meeting. Tim Burchett was supposed to be the chair. He ended up not being the chair. At some point last night, he was just called off on that role. Now, was that Kevin McCarthy and the Republican establishment not wanting the truth teller to be the chair of the committee with the UFO thing? They didn't want him to get to the bottom of it, so they benched him. Well, hey, maybe, but whatever it was, it's a communication to the general public. There's something off about this hearing. We were told the DOD would be limiting the witnesses in what they were actually allowed to say to the American public. As they were questioned over and over again, they continued saying, we can address this in closed session. We can address this in a private session. We can address this behind closed doors. We can address this in a skiff. They said it in every way imaginable. We can talk about these things when the cameras aren't rolling and the American public will never get this information. Now, again, this whole hearing seems completely contrived to me, so I'm not upset that we are not getting all the information about the aliens. I think the real takeaway from this hearing is that the government doesn't care at all about withholding important information from the people whenever it so chooses. The basic narrative coming from the witnesses who came in was that there is something going on, but they're not allowed to tell us what it is. There's something going on, but we're not allowed to know about it. People have experienced things, some people. Have even experienced the negative consequences of having experienced things because we know something's going on, but we're just not allowed to tell you what it is. If we can go in a skiff, then we will totally tell you Congress people all about it as long as you promise not to tell the citizens about it, too. I mean, sure. It's an existential threat, and the only way to handle it will be by convening a one world government so that all the nations of the world follow the exact same approach once we tell you that there has been an alien invasion. And what we're going to need is all the citizens of the world to comply with that one world government approach and do whatever they are told. Because if they don't obey fully, If they don't behave exactly as they're told, these aliens are going to destroy absolutely everything and everyone, and it will all be your fault. Let's get a taste of how our government is handling this existential threat story.
3: Has the U.S. government become aware of actual evidence of extraterrestrial, otherwise unexplained forms of intelligence? And if so, when do you think this first occurred?
1: Uh, I like to use the term non-human. I don't like to denote origin. Keeps the aperture open, both scientifically. Right. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, like I've disc- discussed publicly uh, previously, 1930s.
3: Okay. Can you give me the names and titles of the people with direct, firsthand knowledge uh, and access to some of this crash retrieval? some of these crash retrieval programs and maybe which facilities, military bases that would, the recovered material would be in. And I know a lot of Congress talked about we're going to go to Area 51 and, you know, and there's nothing there anymore anyway. It's just, you know, and we move like a glacier. As soon as we announce it, I'm sure the moving vans would pull up, but please.
1: Uh, I can't discuss that publicly, but I did provide that information both to the intel committees and the inspector general.
3: And we could get that in the SCIF if we were allowed to get in a SCIF with you, would that be probably what you would think? Sure, if you had
1: the appropriate yeah. accesses, yeah. Uh,
3: what special access programs cover this information, and how is it possible that they have evaded oversight for so long?
1: Uh, I do know the names. Once again, I can't discuss that publicly and, and how they've evaded oversight. I, in a closed setting, I could tell you the specific tradecraft use. All right.
3: When do, when do you think those programs began? And who authorized them?
1: I do know a lot of that information, but that's something I can't discuss publicly because All right. Is. If any of y'all want to
3: jump in on any of this, you're more than welcome to. Um, what level of security clearance is required to fully access these programs?
1: Well, anybody who has... Uh, and, I, and I
3: say that oh. because myself, um, Representative Gates and Representative Luna were mm. basically turned away at one point mm-hmm. at Eglin. So please go out right ahead.
1: Uh, certainly a difference between member access and, say, somebody like me, but anybody who has a you know, TSSCI clearance and meets the eligibility criteria, the access adjudicative authority should be able to grant you access. So, yeah. uh, Ms. Burchard, if you'll yield. So just to be put a fine point on that, there's nothing that you're aware of that's above special access program classification. It's a misnomer that there's anything actually above top secret. Executive Order 13526 delineates the classification levels. Right, and, but I, I draw a point on that because we can have access to mm-hmm. to those programs, and so the notion that we're not being given that access sort of defies our typical muscle memory here in Congress. Thank you, Mr. Birchall. I'll yield back to you. Thank you, Mr. Gates.
0: I like to use the term non-human. It keeps the aperture open, both scientifically and otherwise. So it's not aliens, it's just non-human. And I could be talking about AI, I could be talking about AI. You don't know if I'm talking about AI or not, do you, guy? (laughs) You'll never know. Why? Because I don't have to tell you. Why? Because I'm the keeper of the alien knowledge, bro. And so this guy, David Grush, went on like that the entire time. Now, David Grush might be a brilliant and wonderful man. I do not know him, I do not know his heart, I do not know his motivations. But I do know that he said the non word "expouse" over and over again today as part of his answer. I do know that he was trying to sound very smart, very authoritative and very knowledgeable while not being smart, authoritative or knowledgeable the entire time. I know that his testimony was incredibly insincere and almost completely void of information. Now, the voices you heard were Tim Burchett. Burchett was the guy who was supposed to lead that committee. You could hear a sort of dejection and sarcasm in his questions because he knew he wasn't going to be getting any answers. Those are basic questions about the history of our contact with these UFOs or UAPs or whatever they call them now. Grush said it was back in the 1930s, but he can't talk about it. I mean, sure, it's 85 years ago, but it's still a secret. And if we tell everybody those secrets, well, we might have to tell them other secrets or even telling them those secrets might be enough to know that we've been lying to them about everything else (laughs) the entire time. Now, am I saying that aliens don't exist? Well, no, I can't possibly know that for certain but I don't need to prove the non-existence of something that absolutely no one can prove does exist. I know that people have had experiences and sightings of things, and I know that people I know claim to have had those experiences and sightings, and I am not doubting their experience. All I'm saying is we don't know what that experience actually was. We can't possibly know that those are aliens that created that experience. I can't deny it. I can't confirm it. I'm in no position to know. So I'm not making declarative statements on the existence or non-existence of aliens. I do have fairly good reason to believe that no one has proven they do exist. If the U.S. military is capable of doing that, they're certainly not telling us about it. You just heard how those conversations go. Now, is there a military whistleblower out there who says they definitely do? Cool, great, wonderful. Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's accurately identifying those unidentified flying objects. And maybe he's not. Maybe they are from the human realm or maybe they're not. He says non-human. What does non-human mean? Well, we can't know. And you might say it doesn't really matter if aliens exist or not, does it? And maybe I would tend to agree with you. It probably doesn't matter unless, of course, we were told that aliens were attacking us and that we needed to give all our power and wealth and authority over to a global governing body who is then going to save us from the alien attack. Well, then it might matter whether or not they're real, because if they're not real, then we would know that that threat was not real and we wouldn't need to give them our wealth and our power. And we wouldn't need to allow them to coordinate at a global governing level and then obey every command. Is it possible we could see an alien false flag? I mean, it sounds extraordinary. I'm certainly not saying we will experience one. But it's not like I'm just making this up right now. People have researched government projects about aliens and alien false flags. For years and years, there is a wealth of information out there if you want to access it. But whether aliens exist or not, the potential for an alien-related false flag does exist. And if that were to occur, it's not a good thing for everyone on the planet to immediately believe what we are told and or shown about the presence of those aliens. If it is indeed a false flag attack based on false premises, then we're going to need people out there to say, hey, everybody, this is like that whole pandemic thing. Remember when they told us that we could wear a bandana to the grocery store and that would save lives? Well, they were lying and it turns out that they lie a lot and they're lying about this alien thing, too. And I know what you're seeing on TV. I know what they're saying. But remember when they showed you all those Chinese people just falling over in the middle of the street for COVID? They were lying about that. And it matters that they were lying about that because they might lie about other things. And the truth is, if they get to aliens, they've pretty much exhausted all the other possibilities. All you have to do to understand what's at work here is know that we are indeed experiencing fifth generational warfare. We are in an information war. They are trying to manufacture belief and manufacture consent so they can manufacture compliance. They want everyone to believe the same thing at the same time so that everyone will act the same at the same time. Everyone will allow them to do all the things they need to do to implement their agenda. Think about how far they got with vaccine ID and contact tracing. Would they have been able to do that if everyone knew in the spring of 2020 that the regime in America and in their country, all in service of this one global order, really would lie about all of those things, would they have ever gotten to vaccine IDs and contact tracing without people believing in the pandemic? And the answer is quite obviously no. They need to manufacture that belief. They need to manufacture consent. They need to manufacture compliance. That is the point, because when they do that, they are able to control everybody all at the same time, push everybody in the same direction and people will allow whatever they must allow on the promise that their suffering will end soon. Remember 2020 when everybody was accepting that there would be a new normal someday, they were behaving and obeying all the rules during the pandemic. And while all of that was going on, they had race riots on the streets burning down cities, looting stores, assaulting police officers, and everybody said, just let them do it. Let them do it. They'll get it out of their systems. Then we'll go back to normal. Everything sucks right now. The only way to make it suck less is if we all obey whatever they say. We'll just get through this and then we can go back to normal. A lot of people went along with that thinking. Which means a lot of people got themselves on the same page at the same time, all moving in the same direction, all doing whatever they were told. That is the goal. And they can just start one of their programs as the effectiveness of that program begins to wear off. They start another one. As that wears off, they start another one, and they just go in this cycle. And every time people experience the same stories and the same threats, they embody the stories and the threats. They believe them more and more. And eventually, you believe in all the stories and all the threats, and they just cycle them on through, and that distracts everyone. Everyone just understands, well, it's just going to be one thing after the next. It's just one of those years but we got to get through it. And the only way to get through it is if we all behave, we all get on the same page. We all do the same thing. We got to obey. We got to do what we're told. These are the experts. They're the only people who are able to handle this. This is a borderless worldwide problem. So we need people to handle it on a borderless worldwide level. And since we have one of these problems after the other never ending, We better just have one global government who can make all these decisions all the time. That's the only way we can ever get out of these existential threats. So you might think I'm crazy for calling this stuff fake. And you might think I'm crazy for doubting the science too much. We all know we can doubt it some, but you can't doubt it too much. They could never lie about everything. And you're welcome to believe that, but I don't know where you draw the line or how you justify drawing the line in this situation. And I'm not saying it just to be annoying or just to be a chaos agent, though those are admittedly entertaining bonuses. I'm saying it because if we don't correct our thinking about fake existential threats, then we are going to continue to be easily exploited. It will continue to be easy for them to get us all on the same page so that we can be easily corralled. We will do whatever they say because we believe fully in these existential threats. Well, not all of them, not all of them. Some of them are definitely fake, but, but some of these existential threats, they have the power to move us. And Hey guys, maybe you're right. Maybe your discernment is better than mine. You have chosen which ones are true and legitimate and real threats. And I have not by doubting them all. Maybe you're ahead of the game. I'm behind it. All good if that's true, and I hope you'll share with me the information that makes you so confident so that I may acquire that same confidence. And I'm not being sarcastic, by the way. It's totally possible that some of these problems are real, and I would like to have a very balanced view on the threats. But mostly what I see is the explanation that they would never lie about this thing. This is what the history says. The history must be correct. They're liars now, but they weren't liars then. And even though they're telling the same stories from back then, the liars now, I mean, they're not lying about these old stories because everybody knows that these stories are true. Not that I personally have checked. And so the last thing I'm going to ask you to consider today is why would they have a congressional hearing about something like this when that hearing is going to be so ridiculous and so totally devoid of information. Well, a UFO hearing is certainly going to grab headlines. People are going to pay attention to the UFO hearing, no matter what. And when they're paying attention to something, they usually are not paying attention to something else. So it's a matter of what those other things are. Well, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was testifying today about human trafficking. There's all sorts of Hunter Biden news happening today. We were supposed to be hearing from Devin Archer this week, and then there are still multiple Trump indictments on the horizon. So the UFO hearing can really suck the air out of the room as if it was the dark, bleak vacuum of outer space. Mayorkas was testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. He told them that the border is absolutely not open. He claimed that Americans are safer today because of the work of his department, the Department of Homeland Security. Democrats tried to run cover throughout the hearing. I imagine you're aware that there has been talk for months and months about whether or not Mayorkas would be impeached. We know that the illegitimate regime has been facilitating a slave trade at the southern border. We have been talking about that situation for years now. But the regime media has ignored it for pretty much that entire time. We see a little bit on Fox every now and then. Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott, they ship some immigrants around the country and everybody gets upset. We get a story about New York or some other liberal city where they are full now. They've reached their full capacity. All the immigrants have been sent to these places. They just don't have anywhere else to put them. They've put them in women's shelters. They kicked the women out for the immigrants. They've put them in nice hotels. The immigrants have ruined the hotels. We get some of those stories from the other side. We get the sob stories about how the men on horseback were whipping the immigrants at the border, even though that wasn't true, about how we should welcome all of the immigrants into the country because they're all from that golden triangle or whatever. They're brown people. And if we don't let them in, we don't like them. It's racist. They're just escaping climate change and gang violence and brutal beatings. The women there are abused. We have to let all these people in. And of course they're from 130 or 140 different countries. They're clearly not escaping climate change and keeping them here in the country is not in any way a kindness. If they're actually living a life of indentured servitude, or they're being trafficked. We've had these conversations countless times, but most media ignores these underlying issues completely. Now, we've heard these stories before, so most of it will be reruns. Therefore, I don't think that we really need to spend much time on the Mayorkas hearing, but it would be nice if the villagers did. Are they going to? Of course not. They're going to talk about aliens. Just another bonus for the regime of all of the villagers totally believing in the alien threat, just like all the other threats. I mean, there's definitely something going on. They just can't tell you what it is. And the same thing, of course, holds true of the border. This is Andy Biggs.
3: You cited a figure that was 50,000. And since you came in, it's been more than double every year. Who's responsible for that? Is it you and your policies, or is it President Biden? It's a simple thing. You don't want to answer it because you know it's you. You know it's your policies you're driving in. On October 27, 2021, you issued guidance that restricted the ability of ICE officers to arrest aliens in protected areas, such as courthouses, where they knew aliens to be. You thus made it more difficult and dangerous for ICE officers to go and enforce the law. These are people who had already had, generally... Um, many of them have already had their, their day in court. Did President Biden order you to issue that guidance? Congressman, our policies are driven to protect the American people.
0: Who, safeguard- who
3: issued that policy? Was it the president? Did, are you were you following the president? Or did you create the policy? Congressman, that Or will you ever give us an answer? That is a policy. you back. Disgusting.
0: Who's implementing the policies for the illegitimate administration? We are not allowed to know, apparently. Are we going to find out? Well, probably not anytime soon. Do the villagers care? No. Do they even know? Of course not. Why? Too busy with aliens. Should we worry about the slave trade at the southern border? Nope. Nope. Got to figure out that alien thing. There's a veritable deluge of Hunter Biden developments over the last day. Late afternoon yesterday, we got this from Josh Boswell at the Daily Mail. And Josh Boswell is the guy who's been doing all of the Hunter Biden reporting for the Daily Mail. He has reported quite a bit on the Marco Polo research into the Biden laptop. He's been as good as anyone in the media at covering this story. The headline from yesterday, Hunter Biden's lawyers claim fake phone call attempt to remove papers from court docket was unfortunate and unintentional miscommunication after judge threatened to sanction them on the eve of plea deal hearing. That is all just one headline. Daily Mail always with the longest headlines imaginable. Hunter Biden's lawyers have responded to allegations that they conspired to lie to a court clerk, in the first son's criminal case in Delaware by saying the incident was simply an unfortunate misunderstanding. And this is the updated version of the story. The initial story did not include the response from the Hunter Biden camp. So the story was first reported as one of the strangest stories you can imagine. And you're about to hear why Delaware judge, Mary Ellen Noreka, had ordered the first son's attorneys to explain themselves by 9 p.m. Tuesday or be sanctioned. Just before the deadline, Hunter's Latham and Watkins lawyer, Matthew Salerno, filed a response claiming the incident was down to an, quote, unfortunate and unintentional miscommunication. So Latham and Watkins, high-powered, white-shoe regime law firm, they get their response in, just before the deadline set by the judge. Otherwise, the judge would have sanctioned them, and here's why. It was alleged that Hunter's lawyers sought to remove testimony from IRS whistleblowers about the Justice Department's lackluster criminal investigation into his tax offenses from the court docket. The matter under consideration appears to stem from an unfortunate and unintentional miscommunication between a staff member at our firm and employees of the court. We have no idea how the misunderstanding occurred, but our understanding is there was no misrepresentation. Salerno wrote to Judge Noreka on Tuesday evening. The original article said this earlier today, house ways and means committee chairman, Jason Smith filed a brief to judge Noreka suggesting that she toss Hunter's sweetheart plea deal with Delaware prosecutors due to claims they gave the president's son preferential treatment. It is claimed that someone from Hunter's attorney, Chris Clark's former law firm, former law firm, later called the Delaware clerk, pretending to be from the office of Smith's attorney, Theodore Catilla, asking them to remove the original filing and with it 448 pages of congressional testimony from the two IRS investigators who worked on the case. So the idea here is that someone from Hunter's attorney's office called the court clerk, told the court clerk they were actually From Jason Smith's attorney's office. So, the other side of the case, they represented that they were from the other side and they were asking, they were demanding that these documents get taken down. The documents got taken down. The attorneys from Jason Smith's office objected to all of this and called out the impropriety. The judge demanded an explanation. Otherwise, the judge was prepared to sanction Hunter's team. And Hunter's lawyers responded that it was just a big misunderstanding. We don't know how it happened, but we definitely did not misrepresent who we were intentionally. And at that point, you're basically saying, well, we're not claiming the court clerk is lying. We're just saying there must be some sort of mistake. And it certainly wasn't on our part. But all of that is absolutely bananas. And so immediately people assumed this might put Hunter's plea deal in doubt. And this morning, we get this from CNN.
1: Breaking news out of Wilmington, Delaware, from the Hunter Biden plea deal hearing. Our Kara Ganel just ran out from inside the courtroom. Carol, bring us up to speed.
2: Yeah, um, so as we, as I went back into the courtroom, the hearing had just begun again. The judge was back on the bench, and she was pressing the prosecution on this investigation and the four corners of this plea agreement. One of the prosecutors said that the investigation was very much ongoing and that she asked him, well, what is not covered in this plea agreement if you are leaving the possibility for the reading other future charges? So then the judge said, would this include a possible Farrah charge that's not registering as a foreign agent? The prosecutor said, no, the deal would not include that. It was at that point that she had said to the prosecution, um, "You know, if you are not, good, if you can charge that, then what does this mean?" And the prosecutors. She asked Hunter Biden's attorneys about that, and he said, well, then there's no deal. And the prosecutor said, then there is no deal. So Biden's team said that the plea agreement, as far as they understood, it was now null and void. They were moving ahead to talk about what the next steps would be in this case. So as of right now, the deal appears to be dead and off the table. And it remains to be seen how they're going to move forward. But he has been charged with those two misdemeanor tax evasion charges. But one thing we learned is that this investigation is very much still ongoing.
0: So in one day, it seems that Hunter's lawyers tried to trick the court, and within 24 hours, Hunter's sweetheart plea deal is all gone. In fact, the investigation is ongoing, and they are still pursuing him for FARA violations. That's the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And according to the work done by Marco Polo on the Biden laptop, there are a great many of those violations. All of the talking heads on regime television who told us that The deal was not a sweetheart deal at all. It was actually totally reasonable for the situation. It was actually harsher than many people got are now going to have to explain why Hunter no longer has a deal that good was the implosion of the deal related to the, shall we say, chicanery of the night before. Maybe one day we will find out. CNN has updated this story throughout the day. All of this is a few hours old now, but they noted that there has been a revised plea deal agreed to by the prosecutors in defense. The Hunter Biden plea proceedings have restarted and the president's son has agreed to a limited agreement that covers 2014 to 2019 and only includes conduct related to tax offenses, drug use and gun possession. President Joe Biden's son will still plead guilty to the tax misdemeanors for 2017 and 2018, but the agreement will also cover his tax-related conduct for the three years prior. The two sides have agreed that this deal does not shield him from potential future charges. The proceedings are ongoing. CNN also notes that the judge asked Hunter Biden a series of questions about the facts that are included in the charging documents about the names of the foreign companies where he has worked. Hunter said the Ukrainian energy company was Burisma. He also mentioned his work for the Chinese energy company, CEFC. The judge asked him if he knew he owed tax money, to which Hunter replied, yes, your honor. So a few weeks ago, we were told that Hunter was going to get off scot-free. He had this amazing plea deal, and that was going to be the end of it. This is all that was going to happen to Hunter Biden. And now we see that the plea deal has blown up. They revised the plea deal. Now it only counts certain things. Hunter now admits in open court that he did indeed work for these companies. We are still supposed to believe that he was not selling Joe Biden's influence. We cannot admit that publicly yet. That's still a conspiracy theory. Baseless claims, no evidence. We've now reached about 90 percent of full admission on all of these stories, but we're not at 100 percent yet. They haven't admitted every single thing they have done yet, and the communists can't believe it until they are told by another more powerful communist. They're not allowed to think for themselves and understand independently that Hunter has now admitted to virtually all of it. Until they're told by Joe Biden or the news about Joe Biden that Joe Biden was involved, it still has to be true that absolutely none of this is a problem. It is all still a conspiracy theory. Kash Patel had this to say. Joe knew about Hunter's business dealings. That's not the focus. Today, Garland, Monaco and Ray caught creating a complete new legal fiction When it came to the pretrial diversion on the gun charge, we called it over a month ago, two tier system of justice and the jackals got caught as a former federal public defender who handled tons of gun charges. I never got diversion for my poor or minority clients. Privileged white people gave it to a privileged white guy and got throttled. Oh, the irony. And for the record, I don't think that cash has gone woke. I think he's just throwing it in their faces. Now, while we're getting the public disclosure on Hunter in the courts, there's a parallel disclosure story running right now as well, and that is with Hunter's former business partner, Devin Archer. He has had multiple appointments to testify in front of the House Oversight Committee, and they keep getting rescheduled. Apparently, now there's a chance he's going to testify next Monday. While all of that is going on, the Get Trump effort continues forward. This is from Friday in the Guardian. Fulton County prosecutors prepare racketeering charges in Trump inquiry. So it sounds like they're trying to set up a RICO case against Donald Trump. And if you think about templates, if you think about the process that we have seen develop so far... It would be wonderful news to see them attempt RICO against Donald Trump because it'll teach everybody about RICO for when it gets turned around on them. Donald Trump filed a civil RICO case a couple of years ago against Hillary Clinton and like a 100 at least other defendants that goes through many of the crimes of the deep state. That is ultimately what I think we will see is one massive RICO case to bring down the whole thing at once, proving all these little nodes in the process, making sure that the public knows about all the little nodes and all the processes that actually control those nodes. It looks like we may be given an example featuring Donald Trump before it turns around. The Fulton County District Attorney investigating Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia has developed evidence to charge a sprawling racketeering indictment next month, according to two people briefed on the matter. The racketeering statute in Georgia requires prosecutors to show the existence of a quote unquote enterprise and a pattern of racketeering activity that is predicated on at least two qualifying crimes. In the Trump investigation, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, has evidence to pursue a racketeering indictment predicated on statutes relating to influencing witnesses and computer trespass, the people said. Willis had previously said she was weighing racketeering charges in her criminal investigation, but the new details about the direction and scope of the case come as prosecutors are expected to seek indictments starting in the first two weeks of August. So a rehashing about the timing. We know there's an indictment against Trump coming, but the racketeering element is the new part. Alvin Bragg in New York came up with a novel legal theory. Jack Smith is trying a documents case under the Espionage Act, another totally novel approach to get Trump. Funny Willis is creating crimes, influencing witnesses, because, of course, Trump wanted people to actually expose the fraud. As he said in the phone call, hey, Brad Raffensberger, this hour long call that they've cut into this tiny little segment that has me asking you to find votes. Well, in the rest of the call, I told you about all the places you can find votes and that you can find election fraud from that election. So go ahead and choose a piece. That is all being reframed now as influencing witnesses. And that, they say, is a crime. Also, computer trespass. The people working on election integrity in Georgia, the people trying to access the voting machines, well, they're criminals, too. And all of it is tied to Donald Trump. Therefore, this is a racketeering enterprise, a criminal enterprise designed to do all these different things to affect a criminal outcome. All of it corrupt, the entire thing, corrupt and criminal. All of these people must be brought down, especially the ringleader. They're going to give the nation the perfect example of Rico. Wonderful. Let's see it. This is as exciting as Donald Trump testifying about election fraud and all of that coming out in the Jack Smith trial, stemming from the sham January 6th committee. Beautiful how it all wraps up in a bow. And then finally, we have this yesterday from NBC News. Special counsel examines 2020 meeting where Trump was briefed on U.S. election system's integrity. The special counsel's office has inquired about a White House briefing on February 14, 2020, at which federal officials assured then President Donald Trump of the security and integrity of the U.S. election system, according to people familiar with the matter. Three sources said they were interviewed by the special counsel's office about the White House meeting with Trump. Two of those sources were at the White House meeting. In the briefing, officials from multiple agencies, including the FBI, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, laid out why it's extraordinarily difficult for hacking or fraud to change the results of the U.S. election. And so, this is probably, we don't know for sure, obviously but it sounds like this is Chris Ray, Dan Coates who would have been DNI at the time and Chris Krebs from CISA. Now John Ratcliffe replaced Dan Coates in May 2020, and you might remember that Ratcliffe, Ray, and Krebs came out for multiple press conferences right around the election talking about foreign interference in our election. So it's their offices giving Trump This briefing in February 2020, Trump was receptive to the message and spoke about holding a news conference on the topic, though he never did. Two people familiar with it said the two sources said they have been interviewed since May by the special counsel's office, which is investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election. As director of CISA, Chris Krebs focused on U.S. election infrastructure nationwide and efforts to stop any foreign government interference or hacking of the voting system. While he was in charge, the agency released a rumor control website that debunked some of the false election conspiracy theories that Trump spread after losing the election. The article goes through a bit more of the backstory, so let's skip ahead. As NBC News and others reported at the time, that briefing became a contentious affair. Republicans in particular took issue with Shelby Pearson's presentation. That meeting led to Trump firing his acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, and replacing him with Richard Grinnell, a loyalist. Pearson at the time, by the way, was the head of election security for the ODNI, and it's reported that she told members of the House Intel Committee that Russia preferred Trump in the 2020 election. In 2021, ODNI, that's Office of the Director of National Intelligence published a declassified summary of foreign threats to the 2020 election, which found that Russian President Vladimir Putin had formally authorized several influence operations that worked to denigrate Joe Biden's candidacy, but that there were no successful compromises of election infrastructure. And this is back when everybody used to pretend that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. The special counsel's office also continues to examine the role of the fake electors, after the 2020 election, and we discussed some of that yesterday regarding Dana Nessel in Michigan, who is pursuing the entirely legal activity of that alternate slate of electors. At least two more of those individuals have been subpoenaed by the grand jury probing the matter. A person with knowledge of the investigation told NBC News, the electors are to appear in early August before the grand jury convening in Washington and have not previously testified before it. So it sounds like they are building their story. They're building their case. Donald Trump is going to be tried before the world on everything surrounding the 2020 election. And we know that all of this stuff must be very, very bad for Donald Trump. He would never want any of these secrets to ever get out. This is going to be his curtain call. It's a wrap after this. After this, the walls will have closed in all the way, and that orange doofus is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. They're setting all of it up for it to blow up right in their faces, and that will be hilarious, but no one really knows it. Why? Because we're talking about aliens, which may or may not exist. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work.